Today on Awaken to Grace, we are in part two of our sermon on the two witnesses. We are covering chapters 10 and 11 in Revelation. We have come to the part of our study in this series called Things to Come. We're looking at the two witnesses. Who are these mysterious characters? Well, I think Scripture gives us some evidence. I think it gives us some clues that we can uh that we can see possibly who these two great men of God are going to be. They're going to be assigned. They're going to be tasked with preaching the gospel during the seven-year tribulation. And what an audience they're going to have. They'll actually have a global audience. Well, we're going to see what the Bible tells us about them today in part two of our study in this series called Things to Come. Today is part two, The Two Witnesses. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. How there will ever be a temple in Jerusalem makes us scratch our heads. Now, what's interesting is from A.D. 70... When the Romans took control of Jerusalem, there were two previous temples. Solomon's temple in the Old Testament was destroyed by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Herod's temple, which was what Christ was in in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark, oh, I think chapter 13. Herod's temple was destroyed by Titus and his army, the Roman army, in AD 70. We covered this in a previous session. Just for those of you that perhaps you weren't here, let me just 20 seconds explain. Jesus said of the temple that it would be destroyed. And Jesus said that, what not, that not one stone would be left upon the other. Gold had melted in the temple in between the stones of the floor. And Titus, who was the Roman general, his father Vespasian, had to go back to Rome to become the emperor. And by the way, do you know who Vespasian was? He's the man who built the Colosseum in Rome. Hmm. His son was Titus. He left his son, Titus, as general of the Roman army. And when Jesus prophesied and said that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by a prince, that was Titus, AD 70, he said, flee Jerusalem, leave, don't even go back. And you know, the historian Josephus tells us numerous Christians were saved because they heeded Jesus, they they listened to his words It happened 38 years after Jesus prophesied that. The first temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. The second temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Now, the third temple is yet to be rebuilt. Now, while you and I can't figure out how that temple is going to be built on a Muslim shrine, let me remind you of this. Israel was not a state for nearly 2,000 years. From A.D. 70, with the fall of Jerusalem, to May 14th, 1948, Israel was not a state. The only way that major prophecies of end times could have happened 
was for Israel to become a country again. That happened May 14th, 1948. Don't think for a moment that the temple that Daniel prophesies in Daniel 9, that Jesus prophesies in Matthew 24, and that is prophesied here in Revelation chapter 11, will not be rebuilt. Now, my personal thought is, and I've never heard anyone say this, so take it with a grain of salt. My personal thinking is, Daniel 9.27 says that the Antichrist is going to enforce a covenant with Israel. He'll, he'll strong-arm them. How will a global world ruler, what the Bible calls the beast, how will he strong-arm the nation of Israel? I believe when I look at Israel today, I think the only way Israel would yield and submit is if they got their temple on the Dome of the Rock. Now, how that world ruler, how that beast, how that Antichrist will do it, as I've said through the series, he'll do what President Carter, President Reagan, President Bush, President Clinton, President Bush, again, (laughs) President Obama, President Trump, and President Biden. He'll be able to do what none of them could do. And I believe the temple is going to be the key focus to Israel submitting. Anyways, let's continue. This is chapter 11, verse 3 now. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. So just real quick, pay attention because for 11 chapters now, particularly beginning in chapter 6, from chapter 6 through chapter 11, Notice the phrase that continues to pop up. I will grant authority. I will give permission. One thing you should never forget through the book of Revelation. See, for those of you, oh my precious friends. For those of you that Revelation scares you so bad. Don't be scared. Because God grants all power and authority. Your God, the God who loves you. The God that saves you. Your Abba, Father, he's in full control through it all. Amen? Amen. So he's going to give power to these two witnesses. Now, who are these two witnesses? I believe that there are four possibilities to who the two witnesses could be. Let's say five possibilities because, quite frankly, the scripture doesn't tell us We have indicators. There are hints that if you study Scripture carefully, we can draw some interesting conclusions. But Scripture doesn't tell us. So the fifth possibility, let's just say, very well may be two men that we don't even know they exist. We don't know who they are. But unlikely. I think think Scripture gives us some pretty strong clues. So let's go over the four. Number, Number one... Some believe it is the Apostle John himself. I don't lean toward that view. The reason why some believe that is the last verse of chapter 10, which Caleb just read. You know, when John eats the scroll and it's sweet in his mouth, bitter in his stomach, he's told you must go on to prophesy to kings and nations. Well, I I don't, you know, it could be, but I, I don't lean toward that. But number one, it could be John the Apostle. Number two... Some believe that it could be Enoch. Now, who was Enoch in the Old Testament? Enoch 
was a man in Genesis. I believe he was the grandfather to uh, Noah, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody fact check me there. Was, was it Enoch that was the grandfather or father? Grandfather. Okay, thank you. What's interesting about Enoch is that he's the first person in the Bible. He's the first person in human history, as far as we know, that never died. The Bible says that he walked with God and then was not. In other words, he was translated. He, was, he is the first person in the Bible that is a picture of the rapture. He was harpazoed, caught up, translated. He was raptured. What's interesting about Enoch is that he was raptured before the flood. He was raptured before judgment. What that indicates to us, I believe, it's yet another strong evidence that the church will be raptured before the judgment of the tribulation period. Will be raptured before the wrath of God. I believe he's a symbol of that. What's interesting about Enoch is that he never died. Now, Scripture says in Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed unto man to die once. So many people think that it's going to be Enoch because he would fulfill that scripture. It's appointed unto man to die once. That makes good logical sense. I, won't, I mean, I wouldn't debate that. I think it's an incredibly high likelihood. Now, let me say this about that principle. That's not a blanketed principle. The reason why is because there will be millions upon millions of Christians who will never die. They'll be harpazo. They'll be raptured. Secondly, you know, there were many people in the Bible who died twice. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but yet he died again. Talitha was raised from the dead, but yet she died again. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, yet she died again. The boy on the way to, uh, who was in the coffin, Jesus raised him from the dead. He died again. So I don't think that that's a blanketed principle. You know, just by the way, just so you, 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 you can look at this. If you like, you know, Jesus ruined every funeral he ever attended. <laughs> Read it. Jesus ruined every funeral because death cannot live among the Son of God. Amen. He ruined every funeral. Praise God. So could it be Enoch? Yeah, very likely. But there's two more clues. Caleb, continue reading, please. This is verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of and, the earth. And that's a reference to Zechariah. Okay, go ahead. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Mm. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Gosh, can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the torment these two witnesses are going to bring on the earth? Well, so John the Revelator is a, a, an interesting candidate. Enoch is a highly interesting candidate. But there's two clues in this scripture that I think you'll find interesting. Number three it very well may be Elijah. Now, why would Elijah be a strong candidate? Well, a few reasons. Number one, once again, like Enoch, Elijah never died. 
to our knowledge, Enoch and Elijah are the only two people who never died. Enoch was taken up into heaven. Again, he was harpazoed. He was raptured up. So Elijah, number one, never died. Again, that would fulfill that Hebrews 9.27, if you want to adhere strictly to that. But think about this. The Old Testament predicts that Elijah is going to come again. That's why people in Jesus' day thought John the Baptist may be Elijah. Or that Christ may be Elijah. Because they were looking for Elijah to come back. But number three, and here's the greatest evidence. He had the power to shut up the heavens that it may not rain. Do you remember who did that in the Old Testament? It was Elijah. He prevented rain for three years under the wicked king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. So he'll do that work, according to this, I believe, once again. And then the fourth evidence that I think it very well may be Elijah. Do you remember who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in Matthew chapter 17? It was Elijah. And who's the fourth candidate? Moses. Now, a little tricky because Moses died. Moses died. So if you want to follow strictly uh, that it's Enoch and Elijah, very possible. But could it be Moses and Elijah? Well, so again, the two evidences. Not only did he have the power to shut the heavens, that would be Elijah. But notice what else he did. He turned the waters into blood. What did Moses do during the ten plagues of Egypt? He turned the Nile River to blood. And then the other evidence, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, with Christ? Moses and Elijah. Isn't that interesting? So that's four very highly uh, candidates. Very possible. Now, let's continue. This is verse 7. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit. So let's pause there. This is the first mention. Now, this is notable in your Bible. This is the first mention of the Antichrist in Revelation. We saw him in chapter 6 as the rider of a white horse, but it did not name him. We know it's him based on the false peace, based on the arrow with no bows, diplomacy, the Stephanos, the overcoming crown. We know that's the Antichrist, but this is the first reference to him in the book of Revelation. 36 times he's going to be called the beast. And this is the first reference to him. And why is it here? We're going to see him at his pinnacle in chapter 13. We're going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to show you the profile of the Antichrist. I'm going to show you how scripture speaks more of the Antichrist than any other human figure other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks more about Babylon than any city in the Bible apart from Jerusalem. The Bible is the story of Christ in Jerusalem and the Antichrist, the Pseudo-Christ, and Babylon. And we're going to watch it all unfold in the coming weeks. This is the first mention of him of 36 mentions. And why is it here? I believe the Antichrist will be very... Uh, formidable. I believe he'll be on the world stage. But I believe this is where he solidifies his power on the earth. I believe this is where he takes full command and full control. Because what's going to come in two more chapters 
is the mark of the beast. And I cannot wait to explain to you the mark of the beast. We'll, we'll lay it all out. But this is the first mention of him. Continue. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And I believe this will solidify him as the world dictator that scripture says he will be. Verse 8, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Now, what does this mean? This is interesting. Why does John call Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt? We know this is Jerusalem because where was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified? Jerusalem. And everything in the last days is centered in Jerusalem. So we know that this is Jerusalem. But, so why is it called Sodom and Egypt? Because, now, again, say amen if you're with me. I, I, I check in every now and then because I can't see you. Why is this Sodom and Egypt? I believe what God is indicating. Why did God bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Because of their sexual immorality. Why did God bring the ten plagues upon Egypt? Because of their idolatry. Every plague in the ten plagues of Egypt dealt with the gods they worshipped. And you know what I believe God is saying to us? That the earth is going to be rampant with sexual immorality. Is that happening right now today? It's telling us that the earth is going to be rampant with idolatry. Is that happening on the earth today? You betcha. And what he's saying, I believe what he's saying, is that the judgments that were on Sodom and Gomorrah for sexual immorality, the judgments that were upon Egypt because of their idolatry, are all going to culminate here in this last days. Next, please. Verse 9. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Now, because these. Sorry. Understand this. Do you know that for years and years, for centuries, this was one of the critic, uh, people who were critics of the Bible, this is a scripture that they criticized? Because they said years ago. How can the whole world view this one event? How can the nation see one thing? If you and I were alive, if this church were present and it was 1930, how would you and I explain this? If we were, if this right now were 1880, how would we explain this text? But no, see, right here in our day, we can fully explain it. How will all the nations of the earth witness this? How will they all watch their dead bodies in the streets of Jerusalem? Their phones. Their tablets. You can look this up, but last year I, I, I just took note. I heard on the news and it just made me chuckle. They're attempting, and you can look it up to see how far they've gotten or if they're even still attempting it. But they are, they are trying to launch thousands of satellites up in outer space and they're trying to create literally a web of satellites around the circle of the earth what for 
so that the most remote areas of the earth have the internet. You know what they're doing, friends? They're fulfilling the scripture. Because in that day, those who dwell on the earth... What did we say weeks ago? You have to understand the categories, the different sets of people in the book of Revelation. you got to know the 24 elders represents the New Testament church. You need to understand who the four living creatures are, that they're, they're, a, different, they're, they're a select type of angels. you got to understand the angels are not the church. The angels is not... you got to understand who Israel is. The 144,000 sealed Jews. you got to understand these groups. you got to understand who the tribulation saints are. Remember, John didn't recognize the tribulation saints because they're not the church, the New Testament church. And then you have to understand who the earth dwellers are. That's what Revelation calls those who are going to be under God's judgment. And the Bible says the earth dwellers are going to view their dead bodies for three and a half days. And here's what's interesting. You need to note this. This is the one and the only time in the book of Revelation, this is the one and only time in the seven-year tribulation that people on the earth rejoice. The only time in seven years. This is the only time that they rejoice. And watch how short-lived it is. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. Hallelujah. And they stood up on their feet, <laughs> and great fear fell on those who saw them. Yes. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched <laughs> them. Now, come on now. Those of us who are students of the Bible, what's that phrase, come up here? We've learned it through the whole series. Oh, I'm so pleased. Amen. Oh, give yourselves a hand. I love it. I love it. Harpazzo. Harpazzo. Oh, I want a t-shirt that says Harpazzo. We could do a t-shirt line that says it's Greek to me. Greek to me apparel. Harpazzo. What does it mean? It's the verb. Come up here. It's where we get our word, rapture. And what happens to these two witnesses? They're raptured into heaven. They'll go up on a cloud and their enemies will watch them. Oh, the power of God in the last days. Amen? Amen. And remember, now see, remember where we are in the book. There's 42 months left of human history. Remember where we are. What is the mystery of God? The mystery of God is sin on the earth. Satan loosed on the earth. And the mystery of God is about to be fulfilled. What is no longer delayed? Do you remember, do you remember the souls under the altar of God? In the sealed judgments, those who were martyred for Christ. And what were they crying out in Revelation 5? What are they crying out? Oh God, when will your vengeance come? And what did God say? Wait a little bit longer. And where are we? There's no more delay. The 144,000 have preached the gospel. The seals have come. The trumpets have come. And now there's no more grace. There's no more repentance. There's no more delay. And now 
the kingdom of God is coming to this earth. And what does that mean? Every right will be, every wrong will be made right. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, hey Google, play Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts podcast and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.